the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, through the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. I'm Alex. That's right. Alex Renekamp has rejoined the podcast today. The last time y'all heard from him, we were talking Space Camp, uh, and that was an episode that was, um, that was obviously near and dear to your heart because you were a Space Camp uh, camp counselor. Uh, way back, and that was obviously the thing. And I remember I kind of enjoyed that movie. Other than Joaquin Phoenix and the dumb-ass <laughs> robot, that movie was pretty decent. <laughs> but today, uh, we are taking things in a much more military fashion. We are going to be talking the 1981 movie Taps. We're going to be talking the uh, show, the CBS show Major Dad, and then going to be doing a recasting of the Marvel properties, The Howling Commandos, which a couple of them have already appeared in the MCU, but they really haven't done shit. And I didn't really love some of the castings anyway. I'm not going to lie, Neil McDonough, Neil McDonough as Dum Dum Dugan just didn't do it for me. Oh, I totally disagree. I thought he was a perfect Dum Dum Dugan. Really? Yes. Okay. All right, well, maybe you will recast him as Dum Dum this time. We'll see, because that's what we are going to do, a fan casting of that. But, Alex, uh, before we dive into that stuff, tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. And also, what is it about these kind of properties really quickly? You know, we'll kind of go into more later about, like, you know, why are we doing an all-military episode? Um, sure. So, um, again, my name's Alex. I was... Um I'm, I was born in 1983, so I'm right between uh, Adam and John there. Uh, I was also raised in Alabama, so I was a huge fan of the 1992 uh, Atlanta Braves. Uh, yeah, yes. good call. Uh, I and you know the thing for me is I love I love storytelling, and so that's why I love movies and TV shows. And so at work, I would always be that guy who would be talking movies and things from my you know my past, and which is why I was drawn to this this podcast. As for why this pod, you know, why the military theme, I don't remember which episode it was. Back in July, I think, you guys mentioned Major Dad, and you're like, oh, we should do this for a casting. And when, the moment you said that, I was like, I have the perfect film to go with that. It's been on my the back of my mind, um, which was TAPS. And I'll get into uh, why TAPS specifically later, but... Um, you know, for you know, with Veterans Day coming up, it's it's a good thing to remember those who served. And I have a lot of family members who were in the military, who are in the military, and family and friends. So I thought it would be an appropriate episode. That is, absolutely, actually, it is perfect. This episode will be dropping the week of Veterans Day, so um, that's absolutely perfect. So, nineteen eighty one, Alex. Also. Glad, glad to have you back on. Uh, you're also a patron, so thank you very much for being a patron of the Blast From Our Past podcast. If anybody else wants to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash blastfastcast. Uh, there's my little plug. <laughs> John, 1981. So this is another year after John, before Alex, and before me. So uh, what else happened that was pretty solid in 1981? All right. So I got some conflicting information as to when this movie was released. So I just picked a date that I wanted to choose. Uh, I choose to believe that it was released on December 25th. 1981. I also saw December 18th, but I'm going to go with IMDb on this one. Okay. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week is a song I believe we've actually talked about before, um, but it's a classic 80s one. It's Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Let's get physical, physical. I want to get physical. Let me 
Oh, yeah. Huge one in the 80s. Uh, kind of surprisingly, but not surprisingly, because there isn't too much that goes on on TV during the week of Christmas. 60 Minutes was topping the Nielsen ratings. Okay. It happens. If you if you go yeah. through the Nielsen ratings, if basically if there's not any big shows on, it becomes 60 Minutes. <laughs> huh. All right. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was a book called An Indecent Obsession by Colleen McCullough. Never heard of it. Nope. Uh, Sounds dirty. Yeah. <laughs> and that month, uh, Sega released a game called Jump Bug, which is the first scrolling platform game. Okay. And my fun fact for uh, 1981, uh, Maya Lin, who was the designer of the Vietnam Wall, got a B in her architecture class because of her design for the Vietnam Wall from her professor, who also submitted a design for the wall, who ultimately lost to his student, who he gave a B to. Oh, that's hilarious. Fantastic. (laughs) And that was 1981. All right. Well, we will uh, very shortly march our way into TAT, but before we do that... John and I just want to let you guys know that this episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast, on top of being sponsored by Alex, it is also sponsored by 80stees.com. We've got a partnership with them uh, kind of running through the end of the year. If you guys go to 80stees.com, pick out anything you want. They have a literal fuck ton of different designs and awesome properties that you can pick out a, uh, a great shirt what not from and use our code BFOP that's BFOP for 30% off of your entire order so go do it All right, Taps, 1981. This film was directed by Harold Becker, who I looked through his credits. The only other one that I actually recognized and had seen before was Mercury Rising, which was a Bruce Willis kind of like forgettable action movie from the 90s that I don't think a lot of people saw. Uh, It was actually, this movie was based on a 1979 novel called Father Sky from Devery Freeman. Um, Hadn't heard that, but... I can totally see this being a book and probably a pretty interesting one. Um, Devery Freeman's also a screenwriter, television producer, and a union activist who helped establish the Writers Guild of America, which is pretty cool. And uh, music for this film was done by Maurice Jarre, who did music for Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, mm. Ghost, Dead Poet Society, uh, Top Secret. So that's some, some good yeah, stuff right there. Great credits there. Yep. And the cast... Four taps, or some of the cast. General Harlan Batch. How do they pronounce it? It was like, it was like Botch. Bosch, I think. Bosch, Bosch. That's Bosch. right. Yeah, something like that. Yep, General Bosch is, pl- is played by George C. Scott. He is Patton in the movie Patton. I mean, he's an Oscar winner from that. He was in Dr. Strangelove, The Hustler. I always remember him from a movie called Angus, uh, which John and I will eventually get to. <laughs> I talk about it every time I see somebody from Angus. I uh, love that film. Uh, Brian Moreland is played by, sorry, Cadet Major Brian Moreland, <laughs> if you will, is played by Timothy Hutton. He has been in Ordinary People, The Good Shepherd, um, Haunting of Hill House uh, recently, some other stuff like that. Uh, Colonel Kirby is played by Ronnie Cox, who is in Total Recall and RoboCop that we've talked about, Beverly Hills Cop as well, and Deliverance. Alex Dwyer is played by Sean Penn, a young Sean Penn. Fast Times are about high, Milk, Mystic River. And then David Sean is played by Tom Cruise, another really young 1981. God, these kids look so young. I think this is his second film. I, I, yeah. I've been on Sean Penn's first, and 
Tom Cruise II, something around there, I think I saw. Yep. I definitely think, yeah, because exactly, because Risky Business comes later, or like, yeah. you know, all, all of Tom Cruise's bigger stuff comes, like in 83, I think, is when he kind of started to become a bigger a bigger name, but you're right. Yeah, so he had, a, Tom Cruise had Endless Love, which no one's ever heard of, uh, and then he had Taps, oh, that's right, then it was Outsiders was his next one after this. Ah. So, yeah, really, and yes, Sean Penn, his uh, very, well, he had some... TV movies and well, his first theatrical was Taps. Yeah. So yep, he had a couple like TV parts or other things like that. So cool. And we got a couple other people that I'll mention when we get to them. Um, but I really want to hear why are we talking Taps? And I'll just straight up say I don't know if I can speak for John. I've heard of this movie, but I'd never seen it before. Um, so it's not one that I had, is in my nostalgia. But John, how about you? And then Alex, tell us um, you know why is this one so endearing to you? I'd never even heard of it. Okay, so yeah, John's never even heard of it. I definitely had seen like some pictures and heard of it. But yeah, so Taps, why are we doing this one? All right, so Taps, as we're going to talk about, is a milita- is about a military high school. Um, and if you ever look at some of the trivia of the movie, you'll see that it was filmed at Valley Forge Military Academy in Pennsylvania. But it turns out the first location that they wanted was the Riverside Military Academy in Gainesville, Georgia, which actually yeah. I, I looked is about 35 minutes from Cummings. Um, mm-hmm. So, But the second proposed location was Culver Military Academy in Culver, Indiana. I was going to say, I'm always about 35 minutes from coming. Sorry, that was way- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That came to me way late, but I just had to say it. <laughs> oh, lordy. Anywho, so um, Culver Military Academy is actually where I attended high school for all four years. It was a boarding school that I attended. And uh, as a freshman, some of our senior officers actually showed us this movie because of everything we could relate through and relate to it. Uh, throughout the throughout a review of this movie, I'll talk about my experience there, but I thought nice. it'd be appropriate one. But, you know, I'm actually legacy. I went there. My dad went there. A couple of my uncles went there. So four-year boarding school at a military academy. Yeah. Uh, you definitely have a unique perspective onto this film. And I'm, I'm sure, like, exactly, like, the relationships and just kind of living in that kind of situation where John and I, we're, we're public school kids We're you know, mm-hmm. we definitely didn't have any of those kind of things. I guess the first time we kind of, we had like that boarding school kind of thing was in college, but that's a totally different, different kind of thing. So yeah. well, Adam, I know you actually would have loved it there because by the time, by when I started there, we had three hockey teams. Yes. <laughs> and by the time I graduated, we had five. Holy crap. Three, Jeez. three boys teams and two girls teams. So we it was nice. a huge hockey program, and our music program it was really really good for uh, for John up there. So that's awesome. They uh, I don't know why they didn't uh, try to recruit me. I mean, I was ranked the fifth best goalie in the Southeast at one point. <laughs> Just throwing that out there when I was in high school, Georgia State champion. In case anybody <laughs> wanted to know, that wasn't that difficult, Adam. There was hardly anyone else playing. Yeah, it was, it's Georgia. They didn't play hockey very much. I think wasn't it like every single team played all at the same location because there was only one location to play hockey no, well yeah yeah yeah. i mean pretty much it was the uh the cooler area was kind of the, the main yeah, there's not too many ice rinks that uh that people played at so shut up john i was good <laughs> <laughs> i'm not denying you were good you were very good in fact i enjoyed i actually enjoyed going to watch your games because uh, you were because you were very good i'm just saying <laughs> there wasn't a lot of competition no, there wasn't a lot of competition, but all right. Um, before we get into my scene by scene breakdown, I actually kind of want to go over the history of taps. I was kind of curious about this, just looking into you know, there's a the 
movie is called Taps, and everybody knows, you know, Taps is the bugle call uh, that is used, you know, as kind of as a thing of remembrance, mm-hmm. um, you know, with any any military person who has passed away. So uh, basically, it's actually the 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 song itself was born from a French bugle call that was rearranged and used during the Civil War as a call for lights out was how it originated originated. And, you know, in the late 1800s, the army then officially adopted it for the tune of military funerals and memorial services. So as of today, the tune of taps is used across all five branches. So army, Navy, Marine, air force, and coast guard all use taps as their like official uh, remembrance and memorial song. And then I also kind of got curious about why is it called taps? So, the first song was called Extinguishing Lights that was used as a lights out song kind of during the Civil War and that's what they would play with you know or to tell like you know to tell all the uh, military hey lights out time to go to sleep that song had some drum beats it was just like literally four beats here we go so following the call three single single drum strokes were beat at four count intervals this was known as the drum taps Uh, Or in common, the soldiers would just call them the taps or taps. When the bugle call was kind of adjusted to the lights out, they would still use that term taps to refer to it. And so that's why it got its name taps for just some drum hits. I'm going to I'm going to throw in since we're talking about that sort of thing. And since I am a drummer, uh, there's also a famous kind of it's not really a beat or what we'd call a drum beat. It would be I would just call it a lick called the three camps. Uh, and it was used to wake up the soldiers, oh. and it was it's it was designed to be echoed from camp to camp. So one drummer would start it, and then the next drummer in the next camp over, like a mile away, would hear it, and then he would start, and then the next one would start, and it was called the three camps. Like a like a cannon kind of thing, or like you, well, you start it, it here and you it's, start it. It's you just it's not necessarily like in a cannon. You just like one person starts and then the next camp joins in. Okay. And then the next cool. camp joins in. So like in the thing, it's actually meant to be played by three snare drums. Um, it's still played today as kind of a um, like a rudimentary piece to learn and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And the history, although it was it was eventually replaced by the bugle. Yeah, that bump, 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 yeah, that's kind um, but that of wasn't an, which actually we get in this. In yeah, this movie. but that wasn't until 1875, so that was well after the Civil War. Okay, very cool. Well, we're moving from three camps to rent a camp. Uh, hey, <laughs> see what I did there? Yikes. That was bad. That oh. was yikes. Yeah, I know, I know. All right, well, let's, let's talk taps. And we're going to start off at this military church service and a very slow dolly in. Uh, I actually really appreciated that. I like that. They, they took their sweet time kind of moving down uh, the center of that church. And we meet General Bash. Uh, he addresses the congregation. Taps is played. They're kind of talking about the um, naming the different graduates in the military from the military academy who have died in previous conflicts, things like that. The students return to the dorms. We meet Brian, uh, Alex. We quickly meet David. We see pretty quickly that uh, David and Alex are pretty contentious. Uh, Sean Penn and, and Tom Cruise's characters are, you know, they're friends, but they're also frenemies, if you will, or they they have some bubbling stuff underneath. We also very quickly meet a super young Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. <laughs> I saw him and I was just like, holy crap. I saw the credits first and I was like, holy crap. And then I saw him. I didn't even think it was him. I didn't believe it was him. <laughs> 
So that was crazy. Brian and another cadet join the the general for dinner, who talks about some of his good old days. And, you know, they kind of get onto a talk about honor and all this kind of stuff, the importance of honor. And that's what um, men have. And that's what they, you know, their one thing, uh, you know, that they can always kind of keep with them. That keeps them true. And Brian gets promoted to cadet major. Who then Brian returns to his dorm, tells his friends about it. Everybody's excited about it. Uh, he had a brandy with the general too, just being happy for his promotion. That even David brings on his drill team and does a little performance for him in the hall. And I thought that was pretty cute. I like that a lot. Uh, there is that. I, there's a very I thought maybe not iconic, but when you see Tom Cruise walking down the down that hall and just very intense face, I was like, okay, I have seen this before. And we had people, you know, we had even though we were military academy, we most people were there just for the school. Um, there were some people who were hardcore military. There were some people who would eventually go to the services. There was one guy my freshman year who had that intensity who we all knew he's going to he's going to be a marine and he is going to kill people and when we were all intimidated by him and we were also we respected the hell out of him uh he later did become a marine and this this kind of a small tangent but while he was in Afghanistan he he eventually became a like was leading a platoon or something but during Afghanistan uh he got his legs blown off and Ooh. and he thought, you know, well, this is the end of my career. But the commandant of the Marine Corps came to visit him and he's like, all right, what do we need to do to get you back into action? And he got prosthetic legs. He trained like hell and he was able to go back as an XO for for his squad, you know, a, couple, you know, a year later. Uh, so the man is a total badass. And listening, yeah. listening to him talk, it's not like he's this war hungry, got to kill, kill, got to kill. He's a very you know, well-spoken, thoughtful person. But um, but going back to the movie, there were a couple of people kind of like uh, Tom Cruise's character who you're like, okay, just tone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So two things. One, I could have sworn you're going to say after he got his legs blown off, he joined a, sh- a shrimping boat uh, with a friend from <laughs> Alabama. I could have sworn you were going to go that way. But no, awesome for him. I'm glad he's back in service and, and doing what he loves. Uh, and while I was watching this movie, my wife kind of turned to me, and it was at a scene at the very end where we're seeing Tom Cruise lead up to, you know, that thing at the very, very end. And she's like, she's like, yeah, there's this little saying, or she said, she said something like, "They tell your or tell parents if you really truly believe your kid is psychotic, like 100% psychotic, before they turn 18, sign them up for the military because then they can, you know, either get some discipline and also or do what they love <laughs> if they really <laughs> think they're going to be like those kind of people and. Maybe that's what happened here with Tom Cruise, so we'll we'll find out more about that. So, real quick before we go in, something that uh, so Alex you mentioned, like not a lot of kids actually do go into the military. I looked up uh, the Valley Forge Military Academy on the website, and they had a statistic: only about five percent of their cadets actually go into the military, mm. which surprised me. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine that's not like just the graduation rate. The graduation rate is probably pretty very, fine, very and normal. high. But it's just yeah, how many exactly. of them actually pursue a career in the military? Okay. Yeah. For us, it was just it's a re- it was a very prestigious prep school that happened to have military for the guys to teach us about leadership and you know responsibility and you know. But for the, we actually there was a girls uh, the Culver Girls Academy. Uh, they they go through the prefect system, which is I don't fully understand it, but they use it in Harry Potter. Yes, that was I say. That's the only thing I know. I've heard of the word prefect. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Uh, we then kind of get a whole commencement ceremony going on right now. We see General Bash is, uh, unfortunately, he has to let everyone know that the Bunker Hill Academy is going to be ending. That uh, the powers that be are basically closing it down and using are going to sell it for condominiums and its resta- re- real estate potential. I had a lot of flashbacks to that scene because it was that garrison parade. Um, because almost every Sunday in the spring and the fall, we would have a full parade. All you know, that we would go to a field and we would every every Sunday, almost every Sunday, we would. Wow. And this was during the spring and fall. We didn't do it during the winter, but you know, we would have you know. It would, we would be carrying our rifles depending, you know, the way we were broken up, we had different, we had a full regiment. And then in the different battalions, we had an infantry battalion, um, which I was part of. And during the parades, we carried those bolt action, nine pound rifles. Um, we had an artillery battalion who they rode around in the trucks and carried cannons with them. Uh, we had a black, we actually had a black horse troop and we had a band. So all those things that we saw is like, yep, we, we had all those things. And, when they passed by him and were saluting, that was the pass and review, which is something we did every single, almost every single week. There, it was, uh, it was, it was an experience. That's really cool. Obviously, I mean, a movie John and I kind of mentioned, yeah, we hadn't seen and hadn't even really heard of much is very, very nostalgic for you mm-hmm. about a time in your life. I love that. After the uh, this parade, this um, kind of thing that this commencement that's going on brian goes to see the general he's just confused about what's happening and why you know it's being shut down and they have a whole conversation about the loss of military respect and etc etc so brian of course does not want to go right now he wants to stay i mean he is hardcore into the military and wants to be part of it so he's upset right now uh a shower scene of Alex and David again don't really care for each other. Just kind of setting some more stuff up like that. So I kind of, I kind of, even here, kind of realized, okay, something is going to come to a head with a lot of stuff. I kind of started making some things, you know, in my mind about what was going to happen at the end. It wasn't exactly what does come to fruition, but I knew something with David was <laughs> was going to happen, and and with kind of tying in with Alex as well. So there is a, a dance event that uh, that night for the commencement. We get these like high schoolish kind of assholes, these like townies that they're called, heckling the military cadets, and I'm like, that seems like a pretty fucking idiotic idea. You know, I get it that you know they don't they don't like the military academy and whatnot, and they're making fun of them for being so kind of stick up their butt, I guess, or whatever they're trying to do. But it's like, okay, yeah, these are trained people in the art of killing, and I'm going to go poke the bear. Doesn't seem intelligent. And, of course, a fight does start well, because of it. The general... Kids are stupid, Adam. Kids are stupid. Yes, that is very true. The general and other people come out to try and stop the fight to break things up. Then, obviously, one of the townies who had kind of gotten around behind the general grabs his pistol and he shoots. But for some reason, all the blame goes on the general. And, I mean, I get that he had a he had a loaded gun in his in his pocket but at the same time the shot which i rewatched a couple times because someone said like oh my god you shot him they even did a cheesy shot of you killed him uh one of the townies said that but it's like no you see the townie guy's arm grab the gun point and the general trying to stop it and it shoots and it goes off and so anyway that a slight frustration because it felt inconsistent to what was happening and i'm like i don't think it would have yes 
the kid died. That sucked. And, you know, that's not and good. He, and he does bear a lot of responsibility for bringing a loaded weapon. But yes, he, yeah. And I actually went back a couple times. Like, okay, who actually shot that? Okay, and then I was yeah. like, well, gunpowder residue would show. But his hand, yeah. his hand was nearby. I don't know, but I, I think even I, I th- honestly think that the general would have taken. I mean, he never. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't. He takes responsibility no. immediately. So he knows that. And that's kind of yeah. his 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 responsibility in in that way and uh, you know what i agree with that you know yes he didn't he did not pull the trigger accidentally or anything but he had a gun did not double check that it was unloaded and that kind of thing so i gotta be honest why in the hell would you have a gun if it wasn't going to be loaded i'm assuming it was part of the the uniform and you know and he has to it's I don't. I mean, that's what I'm going to have to. Pomp and sir. At the same, the drill team guys. If those guys are flinging out those guns around like that and they're loaded, John. No, but uh, I understand that. But that's that's a visual aspect of it for show. He had a gun in a holster that was covered. It wasn't. You couldn't even see it. So at that point, why bother having the gun if you weren't going to have one loaded? Uh, my guess is, yeah, part of the uniform. It's just kind of the. It, yeah, it's it's just the looks. Okay. I don't know. That's just my thought. But yes, it it is. Strange. But anyway, yes, the general takes the blame. He gets arrested. And then he's gone the rest of the fucking movie. And that kind of made me sad. <laughs> we just hear about him later. I'm just like, really? God damn it. We'll, we'll find out kind of what happens. But uh, the cadets use a radio, kind of listen to the police stuff. And Taps plays that night for, you know, the, the kid who died and whatnot. And, you know, that's the name of the movie, guys. Taps. We've already gotten it a couple times. So we will get it a few more. Uh, the summer session is about to start. And, you know, this is going to be this was was going to be the last set of classes uh, before Bunker Hill gets decommissioned. And so Brian was excited for that. But now he's seeing people taking inventory of all the weapons that they have there. And they're going to be taking away those those guns because of what happened the night before, because that shooting. And then also now this the summer session is in jeopardy. So they find out as they watch the news about the whole weapons uh, being taken away fully, and that the general suffered a heart attack, and I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> I, <laughs> that bothered me as a as a storyteller only because it's like, okay, like I get him being arrested and taken away, and you can't talk to him, but like just boom, up, oh, he had a heart attack too. It's like, couldn't I get one shot of him? Like, it really seemed like they could only afford George C. Scott for the opening scenes, <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, it could be. Maybe he had some other things going on, but it did frustrate me that we got him zero later, and we find out, we find out later as well that he dies, and it's just like it's all off screen. Everything you know that it, about that is off screen. It's just like I just disappointment. Alex, I wanted to ask you, especially now that I know that you went to a military academy, did you actually have like M60s and no. hand grenades? No. Yeah. Okay. No, we did not have any of that. Um, at all no we we didn't we didn't even have like fatigues or camos we were just there to you know be good leaders and and whatnot it was just a regular high school just with every once in a while we would do military drill um but no no weapons no grenades i didn't throw a grenade until uh, maybe 2002 when i was an rotc i I was an rotc for a little while but that didn't stick um but no (laughs) um so no we never had weapons or any kind of like hardcore military training yeah that that seemed that part seemed very unlikely for a Mm -hmm. school a question that i had was 
at military academies, do they have the promotions and the ranks? And like, do the younger kids have to be beneath like the the higher ranked kids? Is that a thing? Yes. Um, so when you start as a new cadet, um, you are lower than low. You don't even have a rank. Um, you are when you're inside the barracks you are required to, for the first six weeks, you're required to march in the hall and square all the corners um, until you receive your, uh, until you really become part of the, the, the company or you know unit that you're in, which is towards the end of the year, you have to greet all the, what we call them old men, corporal and above by name, rank, and sir. As for the, you know, the, the ranks that we had, didn't follow quite any of the branches it went you know anywhere it went from private all the way up to captain um but it would it wasn't as consistent as you know any of the branches of the military what we did which was kind of neat was you would have we actually had three different makes throughout the year where you would have a different position you know you might be a unit commander or battalion commander or regimental commander for one for you know for one third of the year and then do a different job and then do a different job so that way you could have you could change, you know, positions and see what else, you know, w- work for you. Um, and then you would have a final make where at the very end of the year, no one was actually like a cadet captain. That was the highest rank was a three diamond captain, but you were always just acting until the very end when you got that final rank. And if you were an officer, you you know, when you were in your dress uniform, you did get to char- carry a saber. Certain juniors, if they had a certain position, got to carry swords. But yeah, the new cadets they would have to stand at attention when a when an officer would walk mm-hmm. into the room. We weren't they weren't allowed to shine our shoes because that would be considered hazing, and you know they there was a I wouldn't say a zero hazing policy, but more of a you know don't mm-hmm. don't talk about it too much. But overall, that's kind of the the way our military system worked at our school. I will say the thing because you mentioned it, and the thing that really honestly kept me out of the military. You said you guys had to, when you were the lowest of the low, you had to go around and square all the corners. And I fuck hate, I fucking hate making my bed. Uh, and so <laughs> I, isn't that what squaring the corners is when you have to make sure everything's taut? With that, yes, we had to do that too. But I mean, when you're marching in the hall, when you we would have to be on the right side of the hall. And then whenever you needed to turn a corner, you had to do a, you know, a right turn, like squared off. Um, but yeah, gotcha. we also did the hospital corners. We didn't have fitted sheets. Um, we had all, you know, and for all cadets, not just the new cadets, all of our wardrobe was supposed to be squared away. Um, certain shirts, I remember eight inches and certain things were four inches. And I mean, even to this day, I can still, I can still kind of fold the same way. And, um, actually a couple weeks ago, I had to shine a pair of shoes for a wedding and I kind of enjoyed it. It felt felt very nostalgic. I was like, "Oh, Oh, I, I remember how to do this. Wow. <laughs> it's so much better when they're not making you do it. <laughs> yeah. Too funny. All right. So, uh, yes, the cadets all find out that, you know, the school is going to be shut down pretty much immediately because of the shooting, and they're obviously pissed. Uh, so, Brian then addresses the cadets. Uh, something's going to be happening. Next, we see the cadets, uh, some of them have gone off uh, with a big truck, and they're trying to get, they get some provisions. They kind of sneakily treat the, you know, get this guy to give them a whole bunch of food, um, all at once. So they can, they're, they are prepping, they are getting things ready. Uh, at the same time, they're walkie talkieing um, as the inventory people are coming back in and all those weapons are now gone. And Brian lets them know that the c- cadets confiscated them. 
And the sheriff who is there is about to arrest him when, oh, fuck, great shot. All of these kids with like M16s or whatever at the very top part just start draw their weapons on them. And they're like, yeah, they're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> the kids are in charge now. The weapons are secured, sir. What do you mean secured? You mean you stole them? No, sir. We confiscated them. I don't believe Steven, this. where's the phone? There's one in the office near the entry. I'm afraid not, sir. We've cut the lines. Oh, my God. Listen, kid, if you don't turn those weapons over immediately, you're going to jail. Now, don't be an idiot. The right to bear arms is guaranteed in the Constitution, sir. You tell us where you put those weapons, or this will be the sorriest day of your life. All right, we have three demands. They're very reasonable. When they're met, we'll be happy to return every weapon, every shell. You say we. Who else? Number one. I want a meeting with General Vance. Behind now, your you back. Stay, stay where you are, Sheriff. Number two, I want a commission to look into the selling of this academy to real estate interests. Number three, I want a meeting between my officers, myself, and the board of trustees to discuss alternatives to the closing of this academy. That's it. That's all we want. I think this is the first time that, and I'll mention this kind of at the end and kind of throughout as well, but this is when the sound design, I think, gets really, mm. really good in this movie because you hear everyone just aiming their rifle all at once, and you can just hear that, and it, it sounds intimidating. I probably would have shit myself if I were one of those inspectors, <laughs> you know, looking down the muzzle of a million M16s or whatever rifles they had. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I didn't think about the sound design that much, but um, in part, sometimes that's what good sound design does because it didn't, it did sound proper. It felt like, okay, yeah, this was an intimidating thing where all these guns are pointed. And so they kind of had all of those like, kind of like, you know, those, those sounds or whatnot for all of them pointing at the guys. Mm -hmm. Um, So Brian gives them a list of their demands. They basically want the school to stay open. They want to talk to, uh, the general, but of course the budget doesn't allow them to talk to the general again. Um, and another thing, that was the budget of the movie. Uh, which actually, speaking of, the budget was $14 million and it made almost $36 million. So that's not bad. That's actually not bad at all yeah. for this film. Yeah. Especially for 81. Yes, exactly. Especially for 81. So Alex and JC. JC is... Uh, Gustavo Fring, a.k.a. John Carlos Carlos Esposito. Uh, They're having some car troubles. Uh, And, of course, it is right in the middle of town where some more towny assholes are who start coming their way and they attack them. But then uh, David jumps out, Tom Cruise jumps out with a gun, and he just starts firing wildly into the air. I think a couple shots could have done, uh, but he, like, unleashes a clip up into the air. And so, obviously... Causing a ruckus, they uh, have to ditch. Adam, it's called a magazine. Oh, <laughs> it's not called a clip. No, it's called a magazine. I've played uh, uh, plenty of Modern Warfare. Yes, and I think a clip works fine. No, right? or is clip in a pistol? A, no, a clip is this very specific uh, style that most modern guns don't use. The thing where you have the ammo in a thing and you put it, insert it. it that's called a magazine. With a thing and a thing. Yes. All right, fine. <laughs> Good for you. John is our resident gun guy uh, on the show. And he knows better than I do. So, yes, he unleashes an entire magazine into the air. But they have to end up ditching one of the trucks that they uh, couldn't get to uh, to work in the middle of the road. And so they all have to head out with uh, cop cars coming behind them. They have to run through one of the sheriff's cars as well to keep going to head back. And it's a full-on coup going on right now at the military academy. Alex, of course, is pissed off. Alex has been very hesitant. We've seen pretty quickly already that he's fairly hesitant about, I guess, 
doing what needs to be done. And David, on the other hand, is very um, eager uh, to do what <laughs> needs to be done to make this happen. So uh, they do a little debrief uh, with Brian, but they hear the cops come and there is a, a whole standoff pretty much on the each side of the fence of the military academy. So um, one of the kids, though, we do see he's scared shitless. And so he uh, runs away and climbs. He doesn't want to get shot. So he, he gets scared. I was very curious of what would have happened if that kid hadn't surrendered because they were giving them the countdown of we're going to come in after you. And I was like, yeah, if that kid hadn't surrendered, what the heck was about to happen? But it, yeah. it didn't. So yeah, <laughs> yes, that kind of maybe diffused some of it because they're like, okay, they are kids in there, and that reminded them that uh, hey, there's this one kid who who got scared and ran away. So uh, the next morning, they do some morning inspections. You know, kind of Brian has them all lined up and all that kind of stuff, putting people in their posts, things like that. Uh, but Brian then gets a call to hopefully talk about their demands, but it's not that. It is a delegation of parents including Brian's dad, who is a master sergeant in the military. In their dorm, Brian tells Alex a little bit about his dad, basically that he's this, this hard-ass guy. And we see some more setup again. David and Alex are going to have some kind of fight at some point. So Brian does talk to his father. And understandably, the other parents are fairly kind of frantic, wanting to talk to their kids and whatnot. Brian's dad is a fucking asshole. <laughs> Like, immediately, he's an asshole to the other parents. He's an asshole to Brian. He's an utter asshole, and I I am a bit upset that he doesn't die in the end. He reminded me I'm so much of Kurtwood Smith. Oh. Who played Red okay. um, from, yeah, 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 from yeah. that 70s show. Every, everything I, said, I saw him, I was like, Kurtwood Smith would be perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, he's plenty older now, but he yeah. does have that kind of, yeah. That, but he's just, he's just, he's bitey. Um, he was just making, he was putting down his son at every second. Hell, he even bitch slaps his son in front of everybody. <laughs> Honestly, like, I was, I was very much expecting, um, uh, is it Sean? Was that Tom Cruise's character? Yeah. yeah David Sean. I was yeah. expecting him to pull a gun on him. Yeah. And you feel like later down the line, he would have, and maybe if that didn't happen as early, he would have done that, but yes, it definitely felt like uh, there was something going on. But his dad, yeah, his, his dad, his dad does say one thing that is, I think, almost the entire is goes through the entire thread of the movie, and he said, you know, we can say it was the wrong execution of the right idea, which, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that is, I think, that's kind of the whole point of the movie in in many ways. So that, that was a little bit of nugget of truth that came out from mm -hmm. him. Yeah, I agree. And also, actually, at one point, the dad was even like, you guys aren't even prepared. You know, so what if they come at your other flank? And I'm like, he's like, it's like he was almost giving the, the kids hints how to protect themselves I, more. I think he was like secretly very proud <laughs> that his son was Possibly. doing this. I kind of got that impression, too. Yeah, but then he bitch slapped him. So it's kind of hard. But he still he still uh, yeah had to put him in his place. So Brian addresses all the cadets again, giving them an option to leave if they want you know say hey any of you guys can leave right now if you want to do it and none of them do they're all committed to the cause as of this time that evening brian or alex kind of picks apart the plan he isn't confident about what they're doing um again we're just kind of seeing more of that this was the point in which i was like why didn't alex leave i i think he's just there because of his friendship for brian i guess maybe maybe there's a love for brian i don't know it's just, it, it, it just, I agree. It does seem kind of strange why Alex is sticking around. Yeah. Uh, then a convoy cr approaches, and it is the real military coming to uh, basically set up and surround um, and prep because this is 
basically a terrorist situation. <laughs> so they are prepping what they need. And they start playing messages from the kids' parents to plead with them to come out, which I think is a pretty damn good tactic. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they made <laughs> so. it so that, the, you know, they weren't, the parents weren't angry. They were so, you know, they were <laughs> screaming, you know, saying that how worried they were, how much they loved them. And I mean, that was, that would have been really effective. Yeah, and we see that they have some good shots where it's like those really young kids um, mm-hmm. who will come back to later, and I can't remember their names, but they Charlie were like the was the only one I remember his name. Charlie's the one, yeah, same. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Charlie, and then the other one. But they, uh, we kind of kept going back to them. But they were like our youngest cadets, kind of thing, and they were like on guard that night, and you just kind of see their faces, and they're just like, "Oh my god, we miss home," but that kind of thing. So uh, we also do find out that. David gave some orders to cadets to shoot anyone on site who comes over the walls. So he's kind of like definitely taking things to uh, another intense level um, with how he wants to protect this stuff, which is far more intense than how Alex would do things. And there was there was also I think this was around the point where one of the kids who was patrolling and he was in the hallways. He's like, hey, you got you got some grenades. Hey, do, do you have yeah. and it's like he's saying it so casually. It's like, what the heck yeah. is going on? <laughs> Yeah, he first stops actually by Tom Cruise, who's you can he's like, you know, pumping some iron at the time. He's doing some bicep curls, and the guy asks for a grenade, and he just looks. Cruise looks at him like, "Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not giving you my grenades." Like you could just tell, and then he goes to someone else who does. But I yeah, it is funny. Another cadet, Cadet West, talks to Brian about his concerns. He'll someone who kind of we'll see later um, also ends up losing uh, his intensity and desire for this fight. Uh, in the morning, they play the bugle. That's the thing that John had mentioned. The yes, Reveille. And anytime I hear that, I'm not going to lie. The next words out of my mouth are: "We run, we jump, we swim and play." It's the Camp Anawana theme. If I hear that, I want the rest of it to be Camp Anawana. But that's that's just me. We do find out that uh, eleven students have gone missing. That they deserted overnight. We then meet. Colonel Kirby, who goes in and talks with Brian, who's uh, kind of leading this military group, and he kind of just warns them to stop that kind of stuff. He knows what's what's people are leaving, and you know, basically, they think they're holding these kids hostage. So, because of that, Brian has all the cadets get together again, and another chance to leave. Says, "Hey, you guys can leave if you want to. You can, you know, leave your friends behind because if, if cadets don't dance." And if they don't dance, uh, sorry. Anyway, but T, so that T, Cadet T, West, T, who we a, saw earlier, a, who was a, P P. <laughs> yes. At first, no one steps up, but then that Cadet West does, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then a bunch, and they leave, and this just destroys morale. And this was this was another time that I thought again the sound design where you could hear the each individual rifle dropping and how mm. impactful it is. It's like it's a constant you know, blow to Brian. Each drop is almost like a knife in his back. I like that. Uh, So yeah, they all leave. Then the uh, water gets turned off. Of course, this is kind of a standard hostage procedure. We've all seen Die Hard. You got to cut off water. You got to cut off power, all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) they realize the water is cut off. David and Alex are in the TV room at one point, which Alex is kind of, kind of a comical guy. And he starts doing like this fake TV interview at some point. Uh, tensions are kind of running high even as Brian comes in and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, Alex, he's done with this shit. And he and Brian fight and they get into some fisticuffs. But while they are fighting, the uh, power gets cut off. And also a tank gets brought in 
right in front. So, okay, shit is really coming to a head. I thought this scene was very, I don't know why, but I, it was felt very Sean Penn. Like, it, yeah. it, it felt very Sean Penn. And he hasn't been established very much as an actor, but I was like, True. this is his style of acting where he's kind of that talk talking quickly as if someone else is in his mind. And it's mm-hmm. it felt very Sean Penn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could absolutely see that. Then, to try and get some power, the kids try to start up a generator, and fucking John Carlo gets lit I know. up on what fire. What was he? What was he doused in gasoline at some point? I don't know what. Well, he was the one pouring the gasoline in the thing, but I'm like, that it didn't. I mean, he was spilling it a little bit. I was more concerned for the guys who were below him, where the gasoline was yeah. dripping, than I think it would have been on to himself yeah the fire came from nowhere and i'm not gonna lie this is obviously had like some intensity moments i laughed out loud when the he burst on fire i was like what the fuck <laughs> his sc- the, so. the scream was pretty terrible too yeah. <laughs> the quality uh that that moment was just a little much but i, I understand wh- yeah. what they were trying to do with it but i was like i mean yeah. he he went full like he was completely on fire. <laughs> yeah, it, it was too quick. I mean, it was pretty reminiscent. Uh, in Breaking Bad, he gets blown up with fire basically in that one too. So I was like, oh, oh, poor Giancarlo. He just <laughs> keeps dying from fire. That, uh, that does not bode well for Moff Gideon. No, it does not bode well for Moff Gideon. We will see how that continues. So he gets taken away, obviously, in an ambulance. I don't think he is dead, but it's kind of hard to tell. I didn't think he was dead either. I thought he was just burnt. yeah. All right, the uh, colonel talks to Brian again, and now you can tell at this point, Brian is fucking lost it. Even the colonel kind of talks, calls him out, says basically says he's he loves death. He's got like a death wish kind of a thing. He has he has a really great line of dying is only one thing, bad. <laughs> and it's like wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah. That reminded me there was a there was a poem written about gas attacks back for, like in World War Two. It was called like Dulce et Decorum Est, and it, it was about you know how terrible these gas attacks were and how all these young kids were being told it's so great to die for your country but they they um read this poem just spells out what it's like to get hit by mustard mm. gas and it's like oh that Ooh, it, it I, reminded me of that brian tells the colonel that they'll stop what they're doing but it has to be an order from general bash it's got to come from him and here again we get a f- another off-screen thing where Colonel's like, oh, yeah, he died last night. And it's just like, the fuck? Lame. God, lame, man. (laughs) Yeah, that heart attack that happened also off-screen, yeah, he died from that one this time. It's gone now. It's like, god damn it. So Brian, of course, is just as pissed as I am, um, and the coup is going to continue. And so they hold a service for Bash, and Taps is played yet again. Um, but we do see Alex there in uniform, and he's got his horse with him, too. I, the horse came from nowhere, because not once did I see these horses after that commencement uh, little ceremony. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to be taking care sudden, of them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, who's taking care of these horses? I mean, okay. So, But Alex is there in uniform, so I guess he's kind of back and motivated because of Bash's death. Uh, that night, one of the kids um, is scared. So it's one of those, uh, not Charlie, but the other kid is scared and so he decides to leave because he was on watch with charlie he decides to leave for the gate he drops his gun and you know to to jump up on the thing and it goes off but because the military heard that gunshot thought it was going to them they shoot back and they end up killing uh one of the the kids uh kills charlie 
So that sucks. Yeah, that was a sad moment. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I mean, they were actually the kids that we had seen before. That yes, they're doing this whole thing, but like you get a lot of good shots of their kind of reactions, particularly as I mentioned before about when the parents uh, dialogue was going on around and just their hesitance in general, you know, and at the same time, those kids, you can look at Brian, you can look at Tom Cruise, you you know, David, and you can look at Alex and yeah, they're like teenagers. These other ones, they were fucking kids. There's no denying about it. And so that makes it particularly harsh uh, when they get shot or when he gets shot. And that, that kid actually grew up to be a uh, police officer. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Oh, neat. So Colonel Kirby wants this whole thing to end uh, and basically says, at dawn, we're going to take the campus. Uh, so he gives, you know, Brian that kind of thing. But uh, they're they're going to – and we see David fired up at this point. Just another little thing about, okay, Tom Cruise is more and more losing it. <laughs> so it's cl- close to dawn. Alex finds Brian watching uh, reels of General Bash, and they start reflecting on – the general and reflecting on the kid who passed away. Alex basically pleads for him to stop. So come the morning, Brian walks around, tells all of his men to fall in. It's over. Fall in. It's over. David, though, as we knew it was going to happen, is not happy about that. He wants the fight to continue. So from his room, he uh, he takes his gun and he shoots the colonel who was standing right at the gate, who luckily was wearing a, a vest. Mm-hmm. So he is still alive, the riddle. But on top of that, though, David also has a mounted M60 or something right. on there. I'm not sure it was an M60, but it was definitely a fully automatic machine gun. Yeah, fully automatic, heavy machine gun. And he's just going to town. So, of course, the military, they're, they're laying in smoke, you know, all this kind of stuff. They're having to kind of fire back at some points. Brian has just gone nuts. So Alex and or sorry, David has gone nuts. Alex and Brian head up there to try and stop him. Like he's in full fucking insanity mode. And Tom Cruise plays that really well. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful, man. Beautiful. <laughs> he has a whole bunch of spit that kind of comes out of his mouth right at that moment, too. Something so, that sorry, uh, I'm gonna go full uh gun nut on you. Okay. Something that uh, made me laugh was you can see the uh, the the military guys who were coming in and firing their M16s and stuff. You can see them fire and then pull the charging handle and then fire again, which is something you shouldn't have to do in a semi-automatic rifle. The way it works is when you fire around, the gas from the inside the round pushes the charging handle back, which chambers the next round. That's how it's semi-automatic. So basically, the explosion of the bullet inside the chamber is what causes the next bullet to get set up but the blanks that they were using were so weak that they had to recharge it after every shot oh okay. so it just it looks ridiculous because they have to continuously pull the charging handle sorry i uh, well that's something that you would notice and i didn't notice at all right so <laughs> that's pretty cool so uh anyway they get up there and at that point, when Alex and Brian get into the room is when the military finally shoots back. They lay into that window, and it gets David, and it gets Brian, but Alex has survived. Uh, but everything else is pretty much laid waste into that room. So uh, Alex then carries out his friend's body out into this smoke-filled campus, and it's just this dramatic shot 
and everything looks bleak, and I'm like, okay, wow, what a satisfying end. <laughs> and- <laughs> I mean, honestly, and I mean, I was gonna say, I mean, that's satisfying end. And then they cut to a fucking the commencement ceremony yeah. from before. And I was like, what the fuck? What is this? What the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> Are they going to put in the title credits? Are they going to put in like people's names That's what just I was to have that? for. It didn't happen. I was waiting for. They didn't do it. They just kind of go into the shot on Brian's. So I'm like, wait a minute. Was this a fucking dream? Was this all in Brian's head? What the fuck is going on? That's, I, said, I said that exactly to my wife when, I, when that happened. I was like, what the, what the fuck is this? What is go? Where, like I was expecting, like okay, the names to pop up or like yes, some some sort of story or something to go with it. Nothing, and it was such an abrupt, weird cut to it. It it actively pissed me off. Yeah, you had an awesome shot with uh with 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 Sean Penn carrying um you know Brian through the smoke into just the the madness that had just happened, and then in that one you know cut to the to this commencement scene, I'm like. What the fuck? I I, it, it, I can problem that, that I almost can guarantee you that was a studio note saying no no we can't end yeah. so so down especially with kids let's what can we do to make it positive I I, I can't imagine I mean I agree with you guys completely <laughs> it just felt abrupt and like well I mean what <laughs> so yeah it, it made me it made me question the validity of the entire re- earlier parts of the movie as like is this a thing that happened or not mm-hmm. are they were they even trying to make that or were they just showing us these kids again like what is it what is y'all's take like in my head it seemed like they are trying to make it feel like it was in brian's head no i didn't i didn't get that i just because every every close or everything in that little ending sequence was well i guess not i was gonna say it was all on somebody who died but they also show sean penn who didn't die yeah i didn't take that to mean it was all in his head i just took it to mean like it was a weird way to end the stupid movie not the stupid movie but you know what i mean it was a weird way to end the movie (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just like trying to relive a, you know, bring up up a better time before you know. Just remember, yeah. remember the innocence, which it was not necessary and it was abrupt and not needed. Okay. But I don't, th- I don't think it was supposed to be a. Oh, it was all a dream, or it was all in their head, or. Then why have it in there? I'm like I said, you, I'm. You are going to have to ask the director. I'm going to say stu- studio. I'm going to say studio note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is how our movie ends. Uh, unfortunately, the ending. But um, John, we're gonna start. I want to start with sure. you because uh, we'll start with John, and then me, and then Alex. I'd like to end on your thoughts. The first thirty minutes of this movie bored the shit out of me. <laughs> I could barely pay attention because everything was slow. Everything lasted way too long. Uh, the parade scene lasted way too long. There was too much going on. Um, even the little uh, scene with them doing the hallway thing, to me, lasted way too long. It's like, I don't need to see this whole ceremony. I get the idea. Cut it short. So, like, I was prepared to honestly, like, not even finish the movie. <laughs> However, when it got to the point where the kids, like, took over by stealing all the guns, I was like, oh, we're, now it's finally getting interesting. From there on to the end... I was more invested. It it did have a lot of slow parts. The movie was just over two hours. It didn't need to be that. You could cut that movie down to a tight ninety to hundred minutes, and probably hundred minutes would probably be a little bit better. Yeah, and it would have been better. Now I'm I'm looking at this with older eyes because I'd never seen this, had no connection to this. It is a little bit of a weird premise and something I don't think that ever would happen in real life. However, I did find it interesting. And at a lot of times, enjoyable. And there were some good performances in this. I think actually even Timothy Hutton, 
uh, received a, a Golden Globe nomination for this movie. And my thoughts fall very similarly in line with John. Yes, that two hour, six minutes, I think was the runtime. Cut it to like 100 minutes, you know, around that. And I think that actually would have improved it. Uh, I like, you know, this, it has like some Lord of the Flies aspects. Mm-hmm. It has like some, you know, the, the the inmates have taken over the prison aspects, like that kind of thing. And all of that works really well. And particularly coming through the eyes of children who are kind of fed this grandeurness, this, you know, this big military grandeur of, oh, it's great to die for your country. And then they're seeing the reality of it. So you're getting like that war style, but you're seeing these children's faces. Um, and I think all of that. And kids, what, and kids who, um, I mean, kids in general, don't really know how to keep their emotions in check. So you get a lot. Like, I actually, I didn't enjoy the tension between Alex and David, but I appreciated the storytelling aspect of that. I think the performances in general were pretty damn good. I hated, hated two things, and I've brought that up already. George C. Scott not being in two-thirds of the film when just us being told about him off screen really did piss me off. And then, of course, that ending. Cut it earlier. Just cut it. I don't want that. It, it, it would have literally cut it, go to black, play the song Taps at the end, and over the credits. Boom. That would have been much better. But besides that, I really did enjoy this. I, I came in with very little expectations, but overall, this was a solid pick, and I, I was actually quite pleased to have seen it. Yeah, well, I, I think this is a good thought-provoking movie. Um, it, do, it does not move fast by any means, but I would say, especially in the middle and towards the end of the movie that even the pacing felt like a character of the movie that just kind of sits in the background, building up hopelessness and the futility of, of their stand. Like I mentioned, I loved the sound design. That was something I was, you know, I was just listening to that, you know, everything from the marching to the just loudness of the tank, just the tank, you know, being so intimidating, even crickets were all designed to invoke something the acting was was tight. Crazy Tom Cruise, Sean Penn being Sean Penn. I I did I very much enjoyed revisiting this film, and I would say I appreciate it more now as an adult than I did as a kid. I don't think this movie would work as well today because of the subject um, with you know kids with guns in in high school. Um, I think a lot of this was character driven, but just through dialogue, which a lot of audiences don't have the patience for, but agreed with the ending. Um, but overall, yeah, I think this is a good film. And I very much enjoyed going back to watching it. Yeah. Good pick. Good pick. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to something much more lighthearted. <laughs> All right. Now we are going to talk major dad, which actually it sounds like, John and I bringing that up uh, a while back was kind of the influence as to pretty much this entire episode. And so Major Dad, it ran from 1989 to 1993 for four seasons, 96 total episodes on CBS. Now, what I remember seeing Major Dad on was actually in syndication on USA more than anything else. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Same. Yep. That's how my nose was like, saw it 90s on USA. It was, yeah, it was all, all the time on USA. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty much it and i'll throw out for for me and john unless you have a different memory our dad watched major dad uh and so i feel like i saw the show with him more than anything else but i don't have that recollection okay i i mean I, and yeah. maybe maybe we did that's maybe that's how we were introduced to it but maybe, most okay. of the time i actually just remember watching it by myself yeah 
I mean, it was one that yeah, I, I definitely remember as well watching Major Dead. Um, it didn't have to be with Dead, but I feel like I remember he either got us into it or exactly. I remember at some point I remember seeing it with him. Okay. Uh, but Alex, for you, why are we talking Major Dead? You know, kind of the same same way on, you know, I remember watching it syndication in the 90s on USA. I remember really super enjoying it. And then a couple of years ago, maybe a year or two ago, I I was scrolling through Tubi of all things and the season one of Major Dad happened to be on there. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And turns out I didn't remember season one at all because it was wildly <laughs> different from season two yes. through four. Yeah. Um, so I watched it enjoyed it they didn't have the rest of the seasons but i was able to find it through youtube and daily motion and i'll say right now i i thoroughly enjoyed it i went through the entire series and mm-hmm. it it nowadays it's one of those shows that if i'm feeling just kind of bored and i just want to watch something just for to to feel good i'll find major dad yeah you get um a lot of the i don't know fish out of water stuff. Well, not maybe not fish out of water, but like the contrast of major dad with his wife and kids who are so terribly different. And just the way he kind of interacts with them is kind of funny the way he, you know, but he's also, he's cuddly. He's nice. He's super sweet when he needs to. Like I would say Gerald McGraney was a good, really good sitcom dad. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yep. So uh, this show was created by, Richard C. Oakey, uh, he was a writer on Knight Rider, a writer on Quantum Leap, and also Simon and Simon, who uh, Gerald McGraney was one of the Simons, yeah. and so they kind of a run into that one. Major Dad, Major uh, John Mac Mac McGillis was played, as I said, uh, Gerald McGraney, who we talked about way, 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 way back, John, episode one. Yep. He was the dad in the never-ending story. Yeah. So that was actually probably the first time we talked to Major Dad because we just brought it up from seeing <laughs> yeah. him. Polly Cooper, uh, the wife, is played by uh, Shauna Reed. She didn't do a whole bunch of stuff that I'd seen except for she was on like a sit or not a sitcom, uh, like a soap opera kind of thing called Texas for a lot of episodes earlier in her career. Uh, one of the three kids, Robin, is played by Nicole Dubuck. Not really sure if I'm pronouncing that correct. She actually became a writer. Uh, later oh, in her nice. career, she did some acting, but I liked her credits. She w- had written on things from a lot of animation stuff: uh, Kim Possible, Dragon Tales, Star Wars Rebels, Young Justice. A lot of stuff that she has done writing with. So that's pretty cool. Casey was played by Chelsea Hertford. She really didn't do too much besides this. And then Elizabeth, who was played by Marissa Ryan, was in Wet Hot Wet Hot American Summer, uh, and then the subsequent sequels that they did with that one, but not much else I recognize beside that. Uh, I do want to call out the workmates, the job people, because as Alex kind of said, the first season was different. Mm -hmm. The second, third, and fourth seasons was where we really, I felt, the show found its groove, and those were the best episodes. Uh, And so you got some of the fun interactions between, of course, uh, major at home, but also major with like kind of the wacky life at work. And so you had a couple people, one, uh, Lieutenant, uh, Holowalchuk, who was played by Matt Mulhern, who had small parts, things here and there. He was actually was in season one, uh, and kind of transferred with, uh, with Mac to the later ones, general Craig, who was wacky. And how the hell does someone <laughs> like a very Leslie Nielsen esque. Yeah. <laughs> 
but but they showed is played but by they showed that he was competent at what he did which i you know from time <laughs> to time yes he was he was eccentric he was goofy but when it came yeah. to like logistics of and and you mm-hmm. know those he he, he was actually okay. he was, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's kind of wacky, but he's fun. He was played by John Cipher, who John, you and I probably mentioned way back mm-hmm. in our Masters of the Universe episode. He played Man at Arms. Yep. And then the last person I want to mention is Gunny Sergeant Bricker, who was played by Beverly Archer. Uh, she was kind of a very serious, kind of kind of interesting character, too, who was kind of the secretary to uh, Mac in, in at work. And that was play, she was uh, in mostly in Mama's Family. Um, she was in like pretty much every episode of that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so Major Dad, Major McGillis, is a commander in the in the first season, commander of an infantry training school, and he meets uh, this liberal journalist who he falls in love with in episode one. <laughs> I don't remember much of episode one. I So for this show, for this, I watched episode one, and then I skipped, and how, how different it was, I skipped to... Uh, season two and watched one later in season two and they do don't feel like two different shows but kind of because it's they got into the comfortable family life in season two which is like everybody was set and i like that Mm -hmm. in season one and in episode one he meets polly he falls in love with her he proposes in episode one without even kissing her (laughs) like they weren't even dating and he proposes to her and then she agrees by episode four, they have the wedding. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> kind of strange. Yeah. Kind of strange. But uh, their their differences is, I think, partly what makes the show pretty solid. Even like it, it makes those early ones interesting um, because she is so different than him. Not like that kind of military wife ask. When you think of a military wife, I think of maybe not quite a Stepford wife, but kind of there is like a, a feel that is similar but like she is definitely she's a reporter uh you definitely don't think military and media mix uh and so i think that worked really well and then so season two they move to a different camp where mac becomes the role of staff secretary or quote-unquote staff weenie is what i saw on wikipedia uh and he has to deal with the crazy antics of the people at work as well as his at the home stuff it's you know it's it's him and three girls and so like you get stuff where you know he's got to deal with these girls liking boys or going through puberty or other stuff like that that he doesn't get. And he's a hard, hardened major and that kind of thing. So it's all just kind of, hey, it's funny, you know. And but they do. I think they do a really good job with him that he is, you know, they, he has all these differing viewpoints. You know, they and he and and Holly both have differing viewpoints, but they are both willing to listen to each other and both willing to adapt and they have a mutual respect for each other so that you know he doesn't become neither one of them is a caricature of this hardcore military person she's not this liberal hippie who just you know is a flower child but they are you know they have very similar uh, belief systems and and values but they just happen you know they happen to be on different sides of 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 the um, aisle on that well, that's particularly well put because I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it is something that in today's society, I think we could use more than anything. No matter how you fall on the political spectrum, it doesn't matter. The ability to listen to the other person or to connect with them, them and realize, hey, they're a person too. They're not just, you know, just this belief system. They have like these other ideas. And more often than not, the person on the other side of the political spectrum is a lot like you in more ways than you realize. And they just they just want to do what they think is best for their family or all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, they may or may not believe something else. And it's like, 
you're right. This show really does merge that kind of life way better than I've seen in years. And it, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I do want to call out the pretty darn cheesy opening montage that they've got with this one. It is, I mean, it, it feels classic early 90s, except they have a military-style music with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of go into, like, a softer thing in a bit. And so, but you just get, like, these, oh, silly cuts from the show uh, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but it worked out fine. It was, it was a nice juxtaposition between the military band and then the sweet family music. And so, yeah, yeah. It was, it, I think it, the music itself, I think it, it, was, it worked. Um, it was fun to listen yeah. to. <laughs> You're right, and it told the kind of the two stories, the two sides of the major, which was you know the having to deal with like the sweet the sweet family life and and the you know military harsher world. I do want to you already kind of mentioned it though, but he was particularly good at dealing with the at home stuff. You know, yeah, he was kind of curt with some things and whatnot, particularly early on, um, but overall he did seem to listen and he helped those girls like every time. You know, he was he was a very good stepfather to them, it seemed like. You know what's weird? I had no idea, I think, when I was younger, that he was actually their stepfather and not their actual father. And maybe I just didn't pay attention to that sort of thing when I was younger, but... Well, the way, the way that Alex kind of put it before is, I don't remember that aspect of season one either. I just remember seasons like two through four right. where the family dynamic is already established. Yeah. So you're right. I don't think I, I re- if you would have asked me before rewatching it, I would have been like, oh yeah, you know, him and his wife and all this other stuff. It's like, oh wait, no, him and this journalist that he fell in love with in one day <laughs> and her three kids. Like I definitely wouldn't have remembered that. I think sometime in season two, he legally adopts the girls and there's an entire episode about it um, and how the two younger ones, they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. But um, Elizabeth is, is hesitant because he's being a little harsh with her and and, but then he does this speech for returning troops and she sees that he actually really cares for them and he you know part of part of that whole episode is he's like he he doesn't like being viewed as just a step and so he does adopt them uh eventually which is you know a nice aspect of of the show yeah I watched, as I kind of already previously mentioned, the first episode, because I like to watch the very first episode, and then one where it's more established. Uh, I actually watched one where he was, um, it reveals that he was on the silent drill team, and we kind of see some of that stuff, and so you get some really kind of cool stuff. They actually bring in uh, the Marine silent drill team, and they do some some interesting things, so I liked that episode. Uh, but uh, Alex, it sounds like not too long ago, you've rewatched this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched it from beginning to end, and it, yeah, definitely. Okay. John, what did you guys uh, rewatch? And also, um, you know, because you said, did you say your wife watched it with you a little bit? So we started uh, from season one. My wife had never seen the show, apparently. Hmm. So we actually only got about four or five episodes into the first season, which she laughed out loud a lot for and really was enjoying it. 
Um, I didn't watch any of the other episodes because I didn't have time to go back. I do have a very, very, very distinct memory of one episode, though, where he he takes piano lessons and he's hiding it from his work That's a good friends. <laughs> and... And so, you know, it, it's this thing where he's, he, I think he's doing it with his kids. His kids are taking piano lessons. And so he decides he wanted to learn how to play piano. He's taking lessons as well. But he's trying to hide it from, you know, everyone at work. And eventually he has this thing where he's out on an exercise with the general. And he and he confides into the general that he'd been taking piano lessons. And, he, and he, for some reason he doesn't think it's manly. And the general was like, are you kidding me? The Marine Corps band are some of like the best soldiers we have. And so then you have this funny thing where he takes a helicopter to the house where he's supposed to be doing this performance. He goes in, does a performance, and he actually plays the Marine um, uh, Semper Fidelis, the the Marine Corps uh, song. And it's kind of funny because a bunch of people just stand up randomly, um, which it was a very, very sweet episode. I really just, And for some reason, and I remember that from like 20 years ago. I remember that whole episode for some reason. So I didn't really feel like I needed to go watch some of the other stuff because my wife was enjoying it. I'm, we're going to probably continue to watch it a little bit. So you said you only watched some of uh, season one? Yes. I, I And I only watched those two, ep- two episodes, but I actually I kind of do plan to go back and rewatch some more, probably start and watch season or episode two and kind of continue. And it's not all that much of a commitment, hell, nowadays. I mean, four seasons isn't that hard in our binge world <laughs> right. society. And so... What? But the differences that I saw in season one and two, I bet you will kind of realize that, oh, wow, season two is kind of real when things kind of hit their groove. Well, I definitely remember, like, like as soon as I watched season one, I was like, this is not the style I remember. So yeah. I, I definitely knew that that was coming. And I, you know, I think it was good that, you know, season one, having him at the infantry school, it was able, they were able to really establish him as this, this tough, hardened Marine, whereas season two through four, when they're at a logistics base it it gave there were a lot more opportunities to involve the family Mm -hmm. so yeah um my overall thoughts on major dad it is kind of a it's a cute simple sitcom it is definitely rewatchable i enjoy i enjoyed both even season the season one one and the season two one that i saw i enjoyed it you know it's it's not a blow me away the greatest sitcom of all time but this is a solid very solid sitcom and i particularly do like it since we brought it up of just having those differing political opinions and realize that hey you know even even those even a far right winger and a kind of a you know an assumed left wing or a left winger and a far assumed right winger they can fall in love even in one day mm-hmm. they can get married <laughs> without even having a kiss before basically uh and it's and it's awesome so this is a solid ass show so how about we do again then john and then alex you close us out i mean i I have fond memories of watching this show. I always thought I'm pretty sure that this show either preceded or followed Wings on USA. So I'm pretty sure like I would watch them together or I would catch the end of this one or something like that. And I really did come to enjoy it. I thought, oh, this is a funny, solid show and one that I continue to watch and have always kind of thought back fondly on. And I think it is a you're right. It's it's not a top tier one, but it is a solid sitcom. Same thing for me. It, you know, it's, it's a feel good. It really is. It, you can sit down and just enjoy watching it. And you know, they they also would they did address large issues. You know, from time to time, like the the effect of war that war has on families, uh, how the public viewed soldiers' uh, adoption. They even did you know an episode about domestic abuse. So they were able to hit those kind of harder subjects, but also keep that light tone. And yeah. 
it's it's a show that I'll just keep going back to from time to time. Well right. said. And yeah, and solid show. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Up at hills, down at dales, as we hit the dusty trail, on the edge we go marching along. We are bad, we are boss, we've got guts and squish and squash, army ants, we go marching along. Then it's high, high knee for the Alright, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Marvel's Howling Commandos, and we got a long list of characters to do between three people. So, uh, we are going to do kind of a a list from the kind of original Fury and his Howling Commandos list. Uh, We're going to do Dum Dum Dugan, Izzy Cohen, Gabriel Jones, Dino uh, Minnelli, Rebel Ralston, Pinky Pinkerton, Junior Juniper, Eric Cohen. Koenig. I think it's Koenig is how you say it. Koenig. Koenig. Oh, yeah, maybe Koenig. Koenig. Yeah, Koenig is, if he's German, it should be pronounced Koenig. Yeah, whatever. So that's a lot of people between, uh, that's a lot of casting between three people. So we're going to kind of jump right into it. I'm assuming you guys are casting this into the MCU. Uh, even though some of the characters have already been into the MCU, I I didn't I didn't use any other MCU actors to my knowledge. Uh, so yeah, I kind of am. Right. Yeah, I don't, don't think I did. I purposely did not cast this as an MCU specific thing because I wanted to change a few things up about this. So the Howling Commandos were Nick Fury's team in World War II. And if you you want to understand why Nick Fury was in World War II, you really have to just read the comics as to why. Blah, blah, blah. It's comic logic. Comic book logic. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Nick Fury had this team back then, uh, but... You know, he didn't really age, but then they had to explain Captain America not aging right. by going in ice, but Nick Fury doesn't have that explanation. It's all kind of So, strange. because I did not want this to be an MCU movie, I changed a couple things. One, uh, I didn't want to do World War II. One, I'm just kind of sick of World War II shit. So, in my mind, this movie, series, whatever it's going to be, is set in the Vietnam War instead of World Uh-oh. War II. I also wanted to cast Nick Fury because I wanted this to be... A sort of precursor thing that's not really MCU. So I did cast Nick Fury, even though you guys didn't want to. So <laughs> screw y'all. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay. So I'll go ahead and just throw out. Uh, I decided because I wanted mine to be set in World War II. And whether or not Nick Fury actually is a prominent part of it or he's just sort of like the commander who sends the Howling Commandos out to do stuff depends on the story. Uh, but for my Nick Fury in this one, I cast uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who was in uh, the Watchmen series that was on HBO Max. Uh, he played Dr. Manhattan in that. Oh, I see. And I still haven't seen... He played Dr. Manhattan. And I have not seen the Watchmen, on, which I need to. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Okay. So he's... I know nothing about what he's done, but... He's okay. going to be my young Nick Fury. He looks good. Okay. So let's go uh, through our list. We're going to go pretty quickly because we got a lot of stuff to cover. So most of these characters, they're all just soldiers, maybe just with a few quirks or stuff like that. I didn't necessarily follow too much like how the character was. I just wanted to find an actor who I thought would work well with my group. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with my uh, Koenig, Koenig, whatever. Koenig. Koenig. Means king in German. Okay. Koenig. So in the original one, uh, uh, Koenig is a defector from the Nazi from the Nazis, and he's on the team. Since I set mine in Vietnam, I went more of the traditional Asian route. I didn't. However, you want to justify the name, I don't care. Maybe they changed the name again. The names of most of these yeah. characters are not ne- are not really important. The only one that is very well known is Dum Dum Dugan. That's the only one you really need to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went uh, with an actor named Manny Jacinto. J a c i n t o. Oh, from the Good Place. I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Yeah, from the Philippines. Also, I, all the rest of these yeah. guys are privates. And in the army, most of the privates are going to be very young. <laughs> privates, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Because usually, by usually by the time they're no longer privates, that that they're a little bit older. So, yeah, I, uh, I, he's going to be in the uh, upcoming Top Gun movie, so he's kind of going to have some of that military stuff with him already. I assume. So cool. cool. All right, uh, Adam, who'd you go with? I I know I should have cast younger with a lot of my people, but I just didn't um, because looking at a lot of the characters, some of them just didn't come across that young in the comic book or whatnot. When I think of a defecting German badass, I went to the movie Inglorious Bastards and just stole from them their defected German badass who was Stiglitz. I I got uh, Till Schweiger as my... He is German and he is intimidating as hell in Inglorious Bastards. So that's who I went with. Okay. Nice. Yeah, he is definitely a lot older. <laughs> he is... A- <laughs> He's a lot older. If he's he is older. that but old you know and what? is still yeah. a private, then. Well, you know, <laughs> you know what? I I, I kind of did the same thing, and my reasoning my reasoning behind that was if you know in was it um Starship Troopers the only way that Clancy Brown's character was able to go back to fight what you know he was a sergeant is he had to go back all the way back down to private. So in order to get this special yeah. position, they must have had to lose all their ranks. See, all right. I agree. I, th- I think it's like, exactly. This is a special unit. And so basically, I feel like you, they because they want to be in it so much, they're not going to get uh, promoted and start leading other groups because they want to be a Howland Commando That's, that's so not much. really how that works. <laughs> Shut up, John. <laughs> so, so like, just to be like a grunt in Delta Force, you have to be a, uh, a corporal. So you can't even be a private and be in Delta Force. So the ranking system doesn't really necessarily automatically denote leadership. All right. I'm going. I'm All going right. with my Starship Troopers logic. Okay, yeah, yeah. Fine. All right, then I'm jumping. I'm jumping on your All bandwagon. Right. All right, Alex, who was your uh, Koenig? Sure, for Koenig, I wanted someone who could portray someone who had lost family since Nazis had killed him or killed his sister. Um, someone who could act tormented. Uh, but with the ability to be lighthearted. Now, Koenig is supposed to be German, but the actor I'm going with is very Irish. Uh, you guys talked to a, about him in your Nickelodeon Guts episode. Uh, my Eric K- uh, Koenig is Mike O'Malley. Oh, interesting. Can you take it to Mo just once? <laughs> <laughs> just once? All right, let's go to Mo. Mo. <laughs> Mike O'Malley. Interesting. I've seen him do a lot of dramatic stuff and good and comedy stuff. Like I think he's got rage, and I, I think he would be a pretty good soldier. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I remember he was on, didn't he do Glee? Yep, yep, he was in Glee. There was a short period in my life where I had a girlfriend who made me watch Glee, and I remember him being as like the asshole dad who didn't accept his gay son. Is that well, no, he accepted, he accepted him immediately. He said, I'm not thrilled about it, but this is who you are, and I always love you. 
Okay. Well, then, yeah, then I just misremembered. I mean, that's what I that's what I think. I don't know for <laughs> certain. Okay, I watched the first season. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I'd like to see him do it because I, I don't see him, even though I do associate him with sports and guts, I don't see him as an athletic person. Even in that show, he was never an athletic guy. So I'm kind of, I'd like to see him um, as a, as a uh, soldier. And he was also so. in The Good Place, too, for a couple oh, okay. oh, <laughs> episodes. There we go. All right, let's move on to Junior Juniper. Adam, who did you cast? So this character dies off uh, pretty quickly, like in book four uh, that I saw. I didn't see much important characteristics to this guy, and so I didn't really know who to pick. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to pick just another white person. Um, Let's at least get somebody in here uh, and a decent enough actor. And he's done some kind of like, well, not military, but he's been in a kind of a cop show fairly recently for a good little while. Um, I went with Wilmer Valderrama as my junior juniper. Okay. I mean, he, yeah, he's been on NCIS for a good while now, years now. And yeah. he's, he's pretty good so, on it too. So I was, yeah. I tell you what, when he came on, I was actively watching the show. I haven't really watched the show in a couple of years and I was a little hesitant. I was like, really? The dude from that 70s show? But he's actually pretty good on it. Exactly. He's a good enough actor. And you know what? Partway through our movie or whatnot, have him die off if you need to. Sure. And then, then you'll bring on Pinky. Uh, but nice. yeah. Cool. All right. Alex? Well, at first I wanted – I was looking for an actor who was known for playing like annoying characters because I knew he'd be killed off. But then I realized I wanted – someone whose death would be would have the most impact to the audience i kind of wanted to do like the drew barrymore and scream so i chose someone who we all would have rioted had she died in game of thrones uh-huh. my joan juniper is macy williams uh, okay i mean she definitely uh comes off as a little badass and by the end of game of thrones um, you're right. That would have been interesting. And to have her die off in this one would be unexpected mm-hmm. completely. I also like the switch. Um, yeah. ad- admittedly, yep, I didn't really do any gender switch at all in mine. Me, me I also either. cast it really fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought about it as well if I wanted to do too much switching around. But they did a decent enough job of kind of having some, some different ethnic groups or, or that kind of thing in Although here. Although I, I kind of question a little bit. Why didn't you cast her as Pinky Pinkerton, who is the actual Brit? She is British. <laughs> Yeah. I, I just want I, for for because because it's a junior. I wanted someone really young. Okay. And, and, young. and okay. Macy Williams is twenty four. So yeah. I thought, and plus, yeah. like I said, I wanted her. I wanted her, you know her to be on all of the advertising, and then a couple minutes <laughs> in, she's killed, and Take everyone's like, yeah. "Holy crap!" Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so yeah. I just kind of went with a, an actor who, like, again, I was looking for mostly guys who I knew were going to end up playing soldiers in the Vietnam War. So uh, I just picked an actor who looks young enough. Oh, I mean, he is young enough. He's in his 20s. Um, he is British, but he would be playing probably an American accent in this one. Uh, I went with Will Poulter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know the, I've used him we're before. the Millers, the Maze Runner, castings. Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. And he's got like that short hair who looks like a military yeah. kind of kid. He just does. Oddly enough, I considered him. A re- he was my first pick because I was like, he kind of has a look of someone who I want to die in a movie. <laughs> but <laughs> and that's why I took him. Well, I took him away. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to a person we just mentioned, Pinky Pinkerton, who was uh, kind of a, a Brit. Uh, I'm assuming you know, like an SAS soldier of some kind or something. Um, uh, Alex, who did you pick? 
Sure. So Pinky is a British soldier, so I looked for British actors, but I also I did want to diversify the commandos. So I found an mm-hmm. actor who has an Indian father and an English mother. Uh, he's been playing a doctor in Code Black. I chose Raza Jaffrey. I like that. I like that a lot. I was actually kind of originally looking for yeah, some more. Like, I was thinking British. So in my head, I only I want to get some more diversity. So my head went to uh, you know Indian uh, heritage as well because that ties in obviously with British. Uh, I like that. I think that's a really cool call. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I don't know this actor, but I mean, he's got a good look no. to him. Yeah, he's been in quite a bit of stuff. Yeah, he he, he almost Homeland. He, bunch he of almost shit. has a little bit of a John Bernthal look, like yeah. just a, just a little I, bit of it. Yeah, he does. To me, does. if you if John Bernthal had a baby with Ben Kingsley, <laughs> I see Raza Jaffrey. But more hair. <laughs> but more hair. More hair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that. He's got. Yeah, quite a bit of quite a bit okay. of stuff. So I, like uh, I went uh, full Brit. <laughs> yeah, me too. I went full Brit. Um, and there's a, a bunch of you know different actors that you could go with. I went with uh, someone who was known more for child acting, but uh, recently had been doing a lot of stuff on one of those CW superhero shows. I went with Tom Felton. Better known oh, as Draco okay. Malfoy. Potter. Yeah, Potter. Potter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm cool with him. Yeah, not a not an cool exciting pick, but I think a, de- a decent pick. He looks like someone I, who could be yeah. called Pinky. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> he does. Uh, he totally does. Adam, uh, I leaned into the Brit aspect as well. Um, I looking at some pictures of Pinky. He wears this stupid beret um, and these glasses. He's in has these glasses. I don't really know much about him, but he looks like he's over the top British. Uh, you know, either extra extra British and maybe a bit. I would consider kind of nerdy. Now in the MCU, the guy that they have is a, just a good-looking dude, so he doesn't look like anything special to me. But I, like I said, leaned hard into the Brit. This guy's again kind of older, uh, like most of my cast. But oh well. I went with uh, someone who also kind of has some quirk mm-hmm. to him. I thought would be good if you're going to have a Brit person. I went with Stephen Merchant as my pinky okay. Stephen Merchant yeah. is enormous. Yeah, he's just tall. He's tall and, and lanky, and like he is awkward looking. But I think for a weird Brit, I think he, he would work well. I think so. That is an interesting call. Yeah. That I'm like, at first I like I want to hate it, but Stephen Merchant is pretty funny and quirky. It would be interesting to see him in a group like this. It yeah. would change the yeah, dynamic yeah. a lot. Uh, all right, let's move on to Rebel Ralston, who I don't really know much about. Uh, he's from the south. He's from like Kentucky. Okay, he used to be a jockey. Okay, he, yeah. Uh, fr- that was the one that where I was like, "How am I going to find somebody who is like four foot eleven? Because if it says you're a jockey, yeah. that's my immediate thought was, "Okay, you're very very short." Th- it was at this point that I I kind of threw the descriptions away and I just went with actors who I wanted to see in this group of commandos. Um, and I also did want to do um, a little bit of uh, diversity and changing it up. So for my Rebel Ralston, I went with Dev Patel. Okay, so he's skinny I'm enough. Ignoring the fact that, it, to me, the fact that he was a jockey means nothing. No one's really going to care about most of the backstory about these guys at this point in this movie. It's it's a if if it's going to be some if it's going to be a movie, then it's going to be you know them in the action in Vietnam and the history of them, like whether they were a jockey when they were little, really isn't going to play into it. So I just wanted to go with an actor who I thought would meld with the rest of my group. Okay, that sounds good. All right, Adam. Uh, I went, I mean, I kind of wanted a a Southern guy, just like a, someone who I think could pull off a very solid Southern accent. 
if your name's Rebel, then you're going to have to kind of be a pretty southerny dude. I haven't seen this guy in too much recently. Actually, the thing that I remember him best from is uh, way back in the old movie Sling Blade. He was the kid in the movie Sling Blade, but he also has been on some uh, NCIS, but most particularly NCIS uh, New Orleans has been the show that he is on. I went with a Lucas Black uh, as my Rebel Ralston. Was, was he one of the Fast and Furious movies? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, to- yeah, he was in um, yep, Fast and Furious Tokyo mm-hmm. Drift. Okay. Yep. I really don't know anything about this guy. I saw 42, but I don't recognize him from it. So I just okay. have to give you the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he's, and he's in Furious 7, so they brought his character back as well for that. Oh, he's in Jar- he was in Jarhead, so he's got that military. Yeah. Nice. There we go. All right. Alex? Um, so for me, uh, I I searched for Kentucky actors, and I found one actually almost immediately. And he actually is only five foot five, so that works out kind of well. Um, my my rebel is Josh Hutcherson. Oh yeah, he is short. Uh, he's a good good actor. You know, he's in the um, the Mocking Jay Hunger Games, uh, the the yep. Hunger, Hunger Games movies. That's what I remember him best from. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay, yeah. I saw I, his his name came across my. Um, screen as well when doing this casting. So, yep, I like that. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Dino Manelli, who is was kind of described as like the Dean Martin of the group. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, who did you go with? So, when I saw, saw the Dean Martin reference, um, trying to do that, all right, I want somebody who is Italian-y. Um, I didn't pick an Italian. I picked an American uh, who definitely has heritage in mm-hmm. Italy. Uh, good-looking guy. Uh, I don't know if this dude can sing or not, but um, he's definitely got the other vibes that I felt like I would work for for the Dean Martin-esque kind of thing. Um, I went with Milo Ventimiglia. Uh, bless oh. you. So <laughs> he's He's been in uh, Heroes before, but now he's been in This Is Us most recently. But he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good actor. He's overall done plenty of things. Yeah. So I'm sure he could do yeah. what I need. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, uh, Alex. Uh, Dino was uh, was also an easy, really easy uh, pick because he, you know, the whole modeled after Dean Dean Martin. So the person I I went to immediately was uh, Dave Franco. I see that. I see that. Yeah, in I, my head. Yeah, yeah, I think I even uh, looked at Dave Franco when I was doing it. I'm yeah, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> he's been he's also been no. on my mind because I watched the you know the last season. Uh, unofficial season of scrubs and i was like oh yeah that's where i first saw him you don't why would you watch <laughs> that? you know what just why why would you torture because yourself I, unof- I i actually enjoyed it i'm sorry but i actually did not i did really? not hate it it wasn't the la- it wasn't as good yeah. but i did not hate it <laughs> you're lying to yourself and you yeah. know it <laughs> um Okay, but. so for for me, I actually did a little bit switch. Oh, I saw like uh, in the description, I saw like swashbuckling movie actor, but I decided to switch that up and make it like a Latin matinee idol type. So I switched okay. up uh, kind of the the ethnic background, and I went with another guy who's really big right now. Oddly, mostly in musicals, but I think he could work well with this. I went with Anthony Ramos. Yeah, we just we cast him not too long ago. We kept we kind of kept coming back to him. Well, this is my first. I, I don't know if it's my first time casting him, but I haven't cast him in a while. You've used him a couple yeah. times recently, so. Well, you you've definitely cast him at least once before. Yes. Um, and then I did I did cast him um on my uh musical rendition of whatever we re- 
that kind of recently came out. What was I doing it in? Late? No, was it Rocky? Horror? Young Einstein. Oh, young he Einstein. was my Young Einstein. Yeah. All right, uh, Gabriel Jones, uh, African American, uh, which was a big deal for this being set in World War II. Less of a big deal because that was uh, they were the military was m- much more integrated by Vietnam and was much more common. So uh, let's start with Alex. Uh, for for Gabriel, I wanted someone tough and someone who commands respect. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of these, but uh, I, I was looking at some clips, uh, and I think he do really well. I chose Lakeith Stanfield, who's been in Atlanta, Get Out, and Sorry to Bother yeah. You. I, I I don't see him as like the super tough guy. He's kind of a scrawny guy, but I have seen him in some of his other movies, and he is a phenomenal actor, so I'm sure he could get into the role and do whatever the hell he needed with it. He is he's a great actor. Uh, I'll jump in with mine. I, I actually also kind of went with a, a scrawny actor because I, I, I didn't really look at a picture of these guys. Again, I'm kind of going on feel and what I want the whole cast to look like. Uh, so this, my Gabriel is actually probably my youngest actor in this in that he's only about 20 right now. And I've used him before, but I think he would work well with this. I went with Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I'm just gonna it up. Yeah. You, I mean, John, you went with like the youngest of our crew. like, And you're actually probably the more correct at the <laughs> age range. Right. Yeah. Like uh, me and Alex definitely went into the, you know, the Hollywood Right. Uh, type of military, which is not true because our real military sends the boys out. Right. But not 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 a knock on that. Just saying it's, <laughs> it's, when I see military guys, I'm like, wow, you guys are very young. Um, but also, I'm getting really really old, and so <laughs> that's just how it goes. Uh, yeah, I can see yeah. that. I'm cool with that, John. Okay. okay. My Gabriel Jones. I was looking around at an actor. Actually, I, I might have cast this guy before. He's got a good look to him. I feel like he has a. You know, he could definitely pull off the military look as needed. And I think he can beef up a little bit to how I want. Um, I haven't seen him do too much action stuff. He was also in the Fast and Furious franchise and Too Fast, Too Furious. But I don't think he did too much besides that one movie in that series as well. Um, But he's been all over with a bunch of different stuff, particularly the barbershop uh, movies. But I do think he could probably become some action stuff. I went with Michael Ely uh, as my uh, Gabriel Jones. Okay, yeah, he looks good. He's got like a face that I know I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, but it's like I look through his credits, and I'm like, where else do I know you from? Because I feel like it's something else. But, but he's got a lot of credits, so I think yeah, he, he, he is Randall Cobb eyes. Randall Cobb eyes. He oh, he kind of does. Yes. Yeah, I don't recognize him from anything. Okay. Yeah, I have to give you the benefit of the doubt. All right, I'll take that. Okay. Uh, all right, let's move on to Izzy Cohen, uh, who is uh, Jewish American, and yes. I kept that i don't know about uh, the rest of you guys i'm just mm-hmm. gonna kind of jump in with mine uh i went with logan lerman oh someone yeah we we keep going back to logan lerman um, um or he's one of the names that yeah. we and and he is jewish and that part of it was important to me to, to cast somebody who was that so yeah good. He, he, yeah. to me he kind of fit the best all right uh no, i think solid solid call okay uh, Alex, we're going to jump to you. Okay. So this is by far my most out-of-the-box and actually favorite casting. <clears throat> now, since Izzy was the uh, first, you know, she was like, you know, he was the first uh, demonstratively Jewish-American hero, it was important to choose, choose a Jewish actor. So I chose someone who actually served in the Israel Defense Forces military theater. 
Now she, again, I'm going, I changed the gender mm-hmm. here. She has done tons of action recently on the show SEAL Team, but I actually know her best as one of the, uh, as a hunter in the show Supernatural, where she played Joe Harville. Uh, my Izzy Cohen is Alana Tall. I have not seen any of Supernatural. I have not seen any of um, SEAL Team. SEAL Team is the one with David Boreanaz. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But if she's got both of those kind of credits behind her, I'm sure she would be just very solid in what we need. And originally born in yeah. Israel, and so I was like, this is this was the one I kind of was like, yes, this is going to be my wild yeah. card. Cool. I like it. Yep. I'm down for it. I mean, in Izzy, easy enough to, you know, change to yeah, yeah, yeah. Isabel or exactly. whatever you want to do it. I'm. I think that's a good call. Yep. All right. Wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Adam. Adam. Yes, I also stuck and felt being Jewish was an important aspect to the character. And so I went looking around for Jewish actors and I came across somebody who I think fit similar enough to kind of the look that uh, I kind of saw from Izzy Cohen. Well, no, oh, I'm looking at some more crimes. less, less gruffy than actually the Izzy Cohen that I'm seeing in some <laughs> of the other stuff. But, but overall, I think he, this guy fits. He's not done a bunch of action. I think that's mainly where, uh, some of this stuff might trail off on on my casting, but he he's done he's done enough stuff. Yeah, I went with uh, Adam Brody, and I think most people know him from the OC. <laughs> but you know what? I don't know why what led me towards it, but I was like, you know what? I'm okay with this, and so I sure liked it. you do well. Sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The excitement <laughs> in everybody's voices. Yeah, I know. It's I didn't do great. Uh, oh, he was in Shazam. Oh yeah, as one of the at the end. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, it was, it was one of the other the Shazam family, whatever Shazam family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still yeah. haven't seen it. Uh, it's I don't think you're missing much, but it's other fun. people really like it. It's fun. It's it's fine. It's yeah, it's it's decent. It is you know what? it is better than a lot of the other DC movies had been. Uh, all right. Uh, the one probably most recognizable one out of this, uh, Corporal Dum Dum Dugan. Great name. I don't know who thought that was a good name, but. It is what it is. Adam, I'm going to have you uh, start us off with your Dugan. And you're going to start off with, I think, the best casting. Um, <laughs> I, this is the one I think fits the best. I didn't love Neil McDonough um, as Dum Dum, but John did, and that's totally fine. Now, unfortunately, I did have to go with an older route, um, this actor, but it's okay with me because he is kind of like, you know, the right-hand man of Nick Fury. He's basically the leader of the, the Howling Commandos um, in general. And he wears that bowler hat or whatever that hat yeah. is that's such a silly it's i mean it's it's, it's a part of the he character. is the most distinctive looking character out of all the yeah. howling commandos i don't think that's something you can change no certainly not um and even though my guy is significantly older he still looked like a badass and you dye his hair red like they did in the show walking dead he pulls it off really well and i think he'll be a fucking perfect dumb dumb dugan i went with michael cudlitz who most people remember as Abraham from Walking Dead. Oh, okay. That is a good call. Yeah. That's, there we go. Once I say that, uh, there you go. Now you're getting on board. <laughs> that is a good call, especially if you're yeah. going the older route. I, I am basically picking up the person who did his hair and makeup in Walking Dead. I'm hiring them to give him that exact same look and put the hat on him, and he becomes my dumb, dumb Dugan. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm, All right. I'm totally for that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, cool. I totally forgot that he was in the movie Gross Point Blank. Oh, yeah, that's a movie you like, which I have not. I still need to see that yeah. one. Yeah, 
uh, which you can go over to Ready to Retro and hear me talk with them yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh, because I went the younger route, so my Dum Dum Dugan is going to be younger than like Adam's. Um, he's still mm-hmm. right now in his late 30s, which is about not necessarily. He would actually probably be more than a, a corporal, but he is a he's a good age for being that leadership role for my younger younger guys. I did have a little bit of a hard time like trying to because I have to imagine them with the bowler hat and the mustache. And the and the red head red hair that that was less important to me uh, than the rest of the look, but I went with a tall actor who would kind of loom over my guys. So because he's uh, Dum Dum Dugan was like a circus performer, right? He was like a circus strong man. Yeah. So yeah, I picked a tall actor who we could either buff out either in real life or in padding, however you want to do it. I don't care. I don't expect Adam to hate this casting because I know he likes this actor. I went with Army Hammer. He's definitely broad and big. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he. I, I don't love him as an actor. I mean, he's fine as an actor. I don't dislike the guy. But he is someone... I remember... I still think, man, he'd be a perfect 90s Cyclops. Mm-hmm. I, we, we cast him as that. Yeah. And so, yeah. Interesting with the big stash. Uh, yeah, I have trouble seeing him with the stash and, and other stuff. Um, yeah, I'm cool yeah. with that. Okay. Not, not, not hating on it. Uh, all right, Alex. You get the last word. All right. For, for Dum Dum Dugan, we need a leader, someone... Uh, who people will be happy to follow. I wanted someone who could look like a strong man from a circus, someone who could toe the line between seriousness and levity, and someone who could rock an amazing handlebar uh, mustache. Um, <laughs> I had one actor in mind who's mostly known for his comedy, but I think has the range uh, to lead the Howling Commandos. He is a little thicker, so he'd have, probably have to go through the Marvel boot camp Mm-hmm. I know you guys have used him a couple times here and there. Uh, for my dumb dumb Dugan, I went with Nick Offerman. <laughs> I'm laughing because I can actually see that. <laughs> I can 100% see that legitimately happening as a casting. It'd be, it'd be really interesting to see him in a in a mostly serious role like this. Yeah, but there's there's com- uh, comedic aspects yeah. to the Howling Commandos. I mean, and also if it's a Marvel movie, there's going to be comedic aspects. Yeah. Period. I d- I don't hate that. No, he rocks a stash really well, so I'm I'm I wholeheartedly agree on that aspect. And if he buffs up, uh, that would be particularly interesting. Yep. And there, there, there are pictures of him where he actually looks kind of buff, and it's like, okay, this guy could do some damage. Yeah, I feel like that is a casting that could happen for sure. Yeah, and because you you're gonna need this guy to basically maybe if if we're gonna have a Nick Fury in it as the leader, there's that, and he would lead it. But if not, and Nick Fury is just a cameo, then you're going to need a big name and a good talent like Nick Offerman to lead this film mm-hmm. because obviously Dum Dum is your main guy. Uh, and I think of all of our castings, that one does make the most sense to like actually lead a film. Yeah. The biggest name so. for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Alex, thank you so much for uh, joining us for your uh, patron episode. I actually had a lot of fun going back and uh, again... I enjoyed Taps more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I was going to like Major Dad. And I actually even had a, some fun uh, casting the Howling Commandos. Well, I appreciate you yep. guys having me. I enjoy always listening. And I'm, I'm, I'm here, was it now four years? Good gravy. <laughs> Dude, you've been there from the start. It's been, it's been over four years. Um, I've, we've mentioned this before. But you were the very first person to reach out to us and send us an email about how much you appreciated the podcast. And I still don't know if you realize how much that meant to us. 
it was it really was the first kind of realization. Oh, here's someone we've never met before. It's not like you know our cousin listening to it. No, hey, props, Matt. I love you. Um, who <laughs> listens? But like, or it's not someone who knows us as a friend with us. You're you're someone who kind of found it organically. And because uh, you found it, did you find it through FBE? Uh, FBE? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, so you kind of found it through that man's and then you've stuck with us and that's incredible. And honestly, and you're in the way that you've kind of reached out to us with other stuff, really, it makes us feel like, okay, that's, that is motivation. People are enjoying this. So thank you, sir. It also helps when, uh, you know, recording these episodes, cause I kind of understand y'all's pacing and the way you do things. So yeah, <laughs> works good. Um, and then, yeah. you know, you know, you, you did a great job of jumping in right when you need to all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Good and, stuff. you know, for anyone listening who, you know, the, the way I became a patron is actually kind of an interesting story. I, it was it was coming up on my birthday and I was like, you know, I told my wife, I was like, you know, for my birthday, I just want to get on to one of my favorite podcasts and here's how to do it. You know, become mm-hmm. a patron and, you know, it's, it's easy cost. And, you know, with Christmas coming up, anyone who's listening who wants to be like, oh, I can be on a podcast forget forget you know a material thing go for an experience there you go and you can keep that uh forever you know what you can you can hand that down to your kids <laughs> and then uh you know what well also it is kind of fun it is something i'm realizing you know you know having some of our episodes and talking about the things you love like i'm not gonna lie uh just being like you know, thinking about stuff like we we've recorded with our mom we've recorded with our dad and all this kind of stuff and you know they're not going to be around forever or whatever happens and it's like I'm going to go back and I'm going to listen to those episodes or, you know, your kids can listen to you talk about, uh, you know, space camp with two blokes who don't know shit about it or <laughs> other stuff like that. And it is kind of cool. So, um, yeah, everybody, get everybody, get your spouse a uh, birthday <laughs> present of the patron of at Blast from Past podcast. Do it now. Endorsed by Alex Renekamp. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. And that was our casting of a Howling Commandos movie. Please join us for another Top 10 episode. John and I are joined by Megan LaMontagne. You might know her as Megan Explains It All on Instagram to talk our Top 10 favorite sitcom parents. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.